When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. Listeners, we've got a bonus pod for you. It's been a while since we've done one, but there's a format that I've been wanting to try out on the podcast, and I thought that the timing was right. What we're going to do for this podcast is we're going to hear the perspective on a single tournament from three different people who played in the tournament in different sections with different backgrounds. The tournament in question was part of the Las Vegas International Chess Festival, and it is the National Open, which recently concluded in, wait for it, Las Vegas. Listeners who heard my interview with Grandmaster Ben Feingold may have heard that Ben was going to be there sort of as one of the uh, hosting personalities, along with I am Eric Rosen. Um, And this is a tournament I've been curious about for a while because I've heard really good things about sort of the community there. And I love that they have so many different activities. They have a women's tournament for women to compete in on their own leading up to the main event, which is like a huge tournament with lots of different sections. Um, And they have a blitz tournament, simuls, etc. So I thought it would be a fun tournament to hear different people's perspectives on. Um, So if you guys like this episode, let me know. Maybe we'll do more of these in the future. I know we've got a lot of international listeners. So if you're from abroad, we might do this for international tournaments in, in the future as well. Uh, so we've got three guests coming your way. First up will be Todd Bryant, a.k.a. Strong Chess. He's known as Strong Chess on Chess.com and on his Twitter account. He is a software engineer, a dad, a chess dad, and a USCF master who made a last-minute decision to play in the three-day section of the tournament and reflects on his experience and lessons learned. And it sounded like he had a good time. Uh, Second on the pod will be Lindsay Newhall. She founded the Death Valley Chess Club. And so she's a tournament director, a teacher. She's also a stay at home mom. Um, And as you'll hear, Lindsay say she also her family has been doing family reunions at this tournament uh, for many years. So she she had a good time and spoke highly of it as well. And last but not least, we have a return guest, Cody Smith, who was an an adult improver guest last year. He's made pretty quick gains. 
pursuing chess in recent years. And this was, he lives in Alabama and this was his first sort of big getaway, large open tournament. And he got to meet a lot of other chess Twitch streamers and also had a good time and some wisdom to share. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. Do let me know what you think of the format, Ben at perpetualchesspod.com or hit me up on social media as the case may be. It's also been a while since I bugged you guys to uh, subscribe to my free newsletter covering chess events, the Perpetual Chess Link Fest. I will put a link to that. And of course, I'd like to thank Chessable as always for their sponsorship of Perpetual Chess. Be sure to check out their courses. So without further ado, I want to get you all to the interviews. First up is National Master Todd Bryant, and you can find the timestamps of the guests in the show description. Okay, here we go. Enjoy the show. And we are here with someone I've been online friends with for years, but actually never spoken even via computer with. And I'm excited to chat with him. He has a USCF master, a strong and improving blitz player. He recently hit 2,500 on chess.com for the first time. And I know he's been in the lab working for years. So I was happy to see that improvement in his 30s. He's a software engineer for chess.com, a chess dad, an avid weightlifter. You can find him on Twitter as Strong Chess. That is also his chess.com handle. And let's give a long overdue welcome to Todd Bryant. How are you, Todd? Hello, I'm doing great. Super excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, and Todd, as as we've uh, corresponded about, I've been wanting to do a longer form interview with you because you work so hard on your Blitz game and you've seen some good progress lately, and I know you have a lot of good ideas to share. But first, I was looking for guests to talk about the National Open. Um, so I'm excited to get that trip report. I know you've been playing a lot. I was reviewing your history. So my first question, Todd, is when did you know you were going to play this tournament? Yeah, so it's a funny story. I actually wasn't planning to play this tournament. It was kind of a last minute thing. Um, I've been planning to play a shorter weekend tournament in Orlando that same weekend. Um, but I had a hotel room and I had no roommate. So I was reaching around to some friends trying to get somebody to room with me. And one of the people that I contacted was my friend, uh, Mike Zelazny, who, uh, is a master from Las Vegas and a classic, uh, character in the chess world. And, uh, he said, no, uh, cancel that. Come with me, stay at my house and come play in Vegas. And as it happened, it was very good timing because we had dropped off our kids and my wife's parents and we were out uh, going to see a punk rock show and I had had some beers. So <laughs> it was the perfect moment of, you know, being a little suggestible and willing to go on an adventure. So I booked some last minute frontier flights and uh, the rest was history. Oh, fun. Shout out to Mike, another person I've never met in person. But yeah, he's his his heart always bleeds on the page when he writes about his tournaments and uh, on Facebook. So <laughs> I, I always enjoy uh, reading the ups and downs. And I know he's working hard, too. Um, sure. So so last minute decision to play. And then, Todd, so you're rated in the 2200s USCF. Um, yes. And you decided to play the under 2300 section. So what went into the decision of playing basically your level rather than swimming with the absolute monster sharks in the uh, open section? Yeah, it was basically two things. You know, because it was a last minute trip, I wanted to keep the amount of travel uh, contained. So the open section in this tournament was a mandatory uh, five day schedule. Whereas um, in the under 2300, I could play seven games instead of nine and uh, compact it into three days with a not so crazy accelerated schedule. So that just seemed like a reasonable balance to me. Um, the other thing that was interesting was that I hadn't played an under section in, I think, over 10 years. Um, I had played under 2,000, under 2,200, uh, like under 1,600, various years of the World Open, usually uh, striking out and not winning any money. So I thought it would be fun to take a crack at one of these big prize sections again as well. 
Okay. Yeah. That that makes some sense given the circumstances. I didn't know about the three day thing, although it still sounds crazy to me. So how many games did you have? Was it four and then five and then two? What was the schedule? Or no, three days. Sorry. Tell me the schedule. Yeah. 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 So so three days. So the under sections are seven rounds in this tournament compared to the nine round open section. So the schedule was not so crazy. It was only three games on the first day. Uh, followed by two games on each of the uh, the next two days. So the main tournament, the Tonka Patrol, was game 90 plus 30 seconds. The first two rounds, you played game 60 with an increment of 10 seconds. Um, so it was enough that I was, you know, maybe a little tired by the end of day one, uh, but it wasn't nearly as aggressive as the two-day schedule in which people played four games of, like, game 25 plus five, followed by a main tournament game. Okay, in, yeah. In it first was. Day. Yeah, three two two. It would be too much for me, but it's not like unfathomable. Um, exactly. And, and the other thing is, of course, you're you're an avid weightlifter, often sharing your videos online. Take your fitness seriously. So, do you feel like that helps you when you go to play three fast games in a day? Yeah, certainly. Um, I've thought about like fitness um, and chess for a long time. I think it's something that's like completely overlooked in the chess world. You know, people go to these tournaments and they want to. Uh, like compete at their maximum ability. But in a lot of cases, you know, players play maybe no attention to fitness at all, even though, you know, their body is like the thing that's carrying their brain around all day. Right. So I, I, I think that I've definitely noticed a correlation between having good stamina and being in shape. Right now, I think I'm probably like in the best shape of my life. Um, I've been focusing a little more on weightlifting than cardio. And maybe, you know, that is something that is important for, for, uh, for just stamina. But in general, I felt very sharp and had good steady energy during this tournament. Like in previous years, when I haven't been working out as much, maybe I'm beat up by the end of like a long tournament. Whereas at the end of this one, I felt like pretty good. You know, I felt like I could have played a few more games. Yeah. And also like, it's like a one, two punch because not only do you take your fitness very seriously, you take your blitz very seriously. So yes. like to, to roll into like a game 60 tournament, whereas like an old man like me is in, <laughs> in a state of mild panic for you. It's like, a, it's probably a competitive edge. Yeah. That was actually really interesting. I had a lot of positive um, uh, surprises from the years of blitz that I've been playing. And definitely one of them was that, you know, I was used to spending, you know, a lot of time on justice from playing lots of blitz. And when I got into, um, you know, into time pressure, I wasn't nervous. I felt that I was calculating well and I was able to um, to throw some punches. Okay. So would you say, do you consider, if you compare, say, action and classical, which I would define action as, you know, 30 minute, classical as 90 minute and the 60 minute kind of as a hybrid, but still feels pretty fast to me. So would you say you're stronger at the sort of um, action slash game 60 format than classical? Yeah, that's an interesting question because it's really changed for me in the past couple of years. It used to be, you know, up until a couple of years ago, all my entire uh, chess playing life that I was much stronger in like really slow time controls and kind of weak in the fast ones. And now I feel that that's possibly reversed because I've become a bit of a blitz specialist in the last couple of years. But that's like still a, a very recent trend in my life. Okay. Well, it's encouraging to hear that such a change is even possible. You're Todd, you're 36, 37. How old are you? 36. Okay. Yeah. As I've said before on the pod, when you look up the FIDE page, you, you know the year, but you don't know the birth date. So, exactly. I, so I didn't know which, uh, which one. Um, yeah. And that's, um, I mean, it's encouraging that, that one can make that change. Um, so you're going into this tournament. Once you do decide to play, 
long flight there. Do you set any goals in your mind? How do you approach that sort of thing? No. So I didn't think about goals at all. One thing that I've learned from Blitz is that, you know, in like a seven game period, there's a wide, you know, array of possible results that can happen. And a lot of it is going to be due to luck. So I wasn't thinking about like a certain score. I was really, you know, I just came in with a very positive mindset. You know, I'm at like a kind of a happy point um, in my life where I've changed the way that I think about a lot of things. And I just came wanting to play like good chefs. I was excited to go there because I got to meet um, a whole bunch of friends, stay with my friend, Mike Salazny. And my goal was just like to play as well as I could and to try to create some quality chess games. Okay. That's really all I was thinking about. And you get to hang the mission accomplished banner five and a half out of seven, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, definitely on the uh, good end of the spectrum of possible results for sure. Excellent. And what, what are the stories of the games? I mean, there's always a million, like I look at the cross table and I don't, I don't feel the blood, sweat and tears. What, how, how did the games go? Yeah. So, you know, I started out with two out of three on the first day at a clean win round one. In rounds two, I had a little uh, accident and lost a pawn, but managed to hold on for a draw. Uh, round three, I was playing some dragon and kind of spoiled a good position, but held on in a bad rook ending. Then in the classical games, um, I started uh, playing well. In round four, I played a um, uh, nine-year-old kid who was a little lower rated than me and managed to get a great attack and, and, and win. Uh, round five was my most interesting game, probably. Uh, so I play a line in my repertoire that is very risky. And by very risky, I mean just potentially completely unsound. But <laughs> it leads to complicated positions that I'm comfortable in. And I, I know a good bit in those lines. So this guy prepared for me. He came up swinging with some dangerous opening preparation. Uh, but I knew a little bit. And we navigated into this completely crazy opposite side castling um uh position where my king side was getting nuked to smithereens but suddenly i had some counterplay and was generating threats and it was just a really back and forth struggle both of us finding shots that um the other person had overlooked and finally at the end of it i got into some uh exchange down end game where you know uh i had very dangerous counterplay and i managed to navigate the tactics and time pressure a little better than him and won that game so i was really happy with that game probably is my favorite game of the tournament just because it was such a typical um you know struggle which i think is what otb chess is is really all about um so at this point i had a decent score going into the last day um i got a dangerous pairing in round six against my friend uh julian perleko who's uh strong uh strong player and was the top seed in this tournament. He was 22.98. He was pressing me hard, but managed to, um, he, he made a hasty decision to try to press me in a four versus three rook ending. Um, and I managed to hold that even though I had a big time disadvantage. So I was uh, happy to hang on there. And then the final round was uh, the money rounds uh, for me. So whoever won um, got a prize. Uh, and I was playing a Chilean player um, who was unrated USCF. He had a 2177 FIDE rating, so potentially quite a dangerous player. Um, and we had an open Sicilian, which is like kind of an ideal last round structure for me. I get to, you know, throw my bonds to the king side and go for a crazy attack. And that was what happened to the game. And I managed to get the uh, the better of the tactics there. Awesome. Um, saying you won like 400 bucks. Is that right? 329 yeah okay. normally five and a half out of seven is 
um, a pretty good score in this tournament, but this year it had just record breaking attendance. So there were 160 players in this seven round section. So to win the big money, you needed like six or six and a half. Okay. Yeah. And part of the reason I've been wanting to do like a sort of multi-perspective retrospective on a tournament for a while now, but I felt like something that appealed to me about this one was, I I mean, I know it's very well run. It has a good reputation, but I also like the fact that it's like a festival, you know, and that like Eric Rosen and Ben Feingold are there now, obviously um, you're, you're the strongest player that's going to be featured in this, uh, this triumvirate, you know, like you're probably not as like starry eyed when it comes to titled players as, uh, as some other people we might speak with, but I am curious, Todd, like, did you get to do anything outside of just like focusing on your games? I mean, I know you had some friends there as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the big draws for me in the tournament. So uh, there's a discord server um, that I've been pretty active in for a couple of years now, which was originally called chess homies. Uh-huh. Uh, just a bunch of friends talking about chess. So I, I got to meet up with a bunch of those people. Um, I got to hang out with Mike Zelazny. I stayed at his house Um his wife, even Vanessa, I talked to her for um, a bunch of hours and she made us a bunch of awesome meals, which really helped out during the tournament because normally, you know, you're like getting in food, you know, maybe bad quality food at the hotel, wherever you can. So that was really helpful. And um, at the end of the tournament on Monday, I had a night flight uh, back. It was like the only flight that um, that I could get. So we got some time in the afternoon to go climb a mountain in Nevada. So we hiked all the way up to... Uh, the top of this big mountain called uh mount charleston and that was that was a very cool experience oh nice so yeah it's yeah, good yeah. not not uh leaving the leaving, excuse me leading the degenerate life in vegas out there in nature exactly. good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um excellent so where does this leave you so i it sounds like you as you said earlier you try not to be too goal oriented but um but i see you've been playing a lot so i guess the plan going forward is that will continue yeah, I am trying, you know, I've been grinding blitz for like, you know, a solid two, three years. And I finally hit, you know, this goal of hitting 2,500 in blitz. So now I'm trying to have more of a balance of playing over the board. Uh, I I thought it was a good idea what Dina Belito said on your podcast. That you, sh- you know, if you want to improve at OTB, you really need to play one serious tournament a month. So yeah. I'm trying to, um, trying to do that. I have uh, the world open coming up next, which I had originally planned to play. So there I'm going to be splitting an Airbnb with my um, good uh, longtime chess friend, Aaron Khan. Uh, so we're going to play the open section in, in that tournament. And um, after that, I'm going to try to continue to play a stream of serious OTB tournaments regularly. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to be playing the world open, unfortunately, but do you know which uh, schedule you're, you're playing? The five day open. Five day. Okay. Maybe I'll, uh, I'm leaving town, but I might be able to stop by. It would be great to, uh, great to meet in person. And so you probably haven't, haven't even had a chance to review all of your games in detail yet, but sort of big picture. Do you come away with anything you feel like you did well or need to work on or both? Yes. Yeah. So I think that after years of, uh, cranking out blitz games and studying my openings, my knowledge of my repertoire was good. Uh, one thing that's really improved where I kind of feel like a new player is that I've developed a much better intuition for chess than like I've ever had in my life, especially my intuition for what to do in the opening and what to do in the early middle game coming out of the opening. And that's just been, you know, developed a little bit of a time playing lots of blitz games and, uh, and checking them afterwards. Um, I think on the negative side, it was pretty clear that in a couple of moments, like my long-term calculation 
either to find some like, you know, long sequence that led to a win or to, you know, analyze a bunch of lines deeply and figure out the correct plan was not at 100%, which I think is exactly what you would expect the trade-off is from focusing specifically on Blitz. So I think that in the future, I'm definitely going to continue playing Blitz, but I probably need to mix in some slower calculation work as well to get those skills back up. Yeah, that's my tentative plan as I start to get back to chess soon is blitz and calculation and not much else. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like you're having good success. It's uh, it's good to see, Todd. Now, one question I had as we wrap up, you mentioned in that particular game that you're proud you pulled out the slugfest that your opponent brought some prep to the table. We were discussing before we recorded that you do play often a fairly narrow repertoire. So like, how do you contextualize that? How do you like philosophically decide on that? And I'm, does it worry you when something like that might happen? Yeah, I have very mixed feelings um, about that because on the one hand, like this particular line that I played is a very risky one and people have prepared against me um, in it in the past. It's just that nobody has managed to completely crush me out of the opening yet because, you know, they can't play like a computer forever. And I know a little bit about what I'm doing and I'm quite comfortable in those positions. So I think that even though it seems like a huge liability, maybe practically it's not so bad. Um, one thing that I noticed in this tournament was that I couldn't like frantically prepare and, you know, the 15 minutes before the round for almost any of my opponents. And it wasn't such a bad thing because instead of doing that and like, you know, generating all this, like using all this extra energy and generating, you know, a bunch of anxiety, I would just go to like an empty room or hallway and put on my headspace app and do a meditation for 10 minutes. And I think that that actually had a much more positive impact than, you know, frantically trying to do some last minute cramming in some opening line that I don't know. Um, So possibly this last minute preparation is a little bit overrated. I think that I'm coming around to that philosophy. Wow. That that's fascinating. And it doesn't really surprise me, but in the moment it's so hard to not just like spend that time to, to, to look it up. But you say it wasn't really possible. Is that because you couldn't find their info or you weren't getting the pairing in time? Yeah, it's because I couldn't find their info in uh, six out of seven games. And the one dude that I did prepare for, I like in a rush looked up some line and, you know, got it on the board, you know, sometimes moves of theory. But what I hadn't realized until just this morning was that the line that I looked up was an informational line in my chessable course saying why I don't recommend this variation. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a complete waste anyway. (laughs) That's very funny. And and let me ask you, so you're are you looking just for their online accounts? Are you checking chess base or both when you try to to look them up? No, the like the goldmine of information is always in their online accounts, right. right? Because like if you find them on chess base, maybe you'll find like seven games. It's very unlikely that you'll have anything that even remotely intersects with your repertoire. Whereas if you can find them on chess.com and lead chess, you just go to opening tree or a similar tool like that. And you can just, you know, basically play out the game that you're about to have in 15 minutes. And most of the time it will be uh, successful or a lot of the time it will be successful in predicting what you're going to get on the board. So overwhelmingly you want to find a chess.com or lead chess accounts. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Yeah. It's funny how quickly things have changed because it wasn't. Yeah. It's a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, Todd, this has been great. We'll uh, we'll leave some meat on the bone for a longer conversation sometime down the road. But I guess in closing. So would would you recommend this tournament uh, for people who are looking for a weekend getaway? 
Oh, absolutely. It was a fantastically run tournament. It was super fun. Um, they had a bunch of fun uh, extras. For example, if you got a plus score in the tournament, you win a $50 credit to uh, the bookstore. And uh, all of these sets and uh, boards are provided. They provide these nice silicone uh, boards with their um, Vegas Chess Festival logo on it. And if you win the last game or draw with black in the final round, you get to keep the board and set. So it's oh. a bunch of fun extra prizes, really well run. I would definitely recommend it. Wow, fascinating. Now, of course, I'm wondering about their business model. So wait, explain the $50 gift card again. How did how did one win that? So if you get a plus score uh, in the tournament, you get a $50 mm-hmm. gift wow. card. So basically, I, I assume that they know, you know roughly how many right. $50 credits they're going to pay out. And this is baked into the entry fee. Yeah, still very generous overall. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And to get to keep the uh, the board as well. All right. Well, Todd, this has been great. Congrats on a successful tournament. Sounds like a lot of fun. And if I don't catch you in Philly, uh, well, A, we'll catch up on the pod soon and B, someday we'll meet in person. Sounds good. All right. Take care, Todd. Thanks so much. We'll be back with the next interview right after this break. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are here with Lindsay Newhall. She is a chess teacher, player, tournament director. She started a club in Death Valley, California, where she lives. It is called Death Valley Chess. She is also a mom, and she has lots of chess players in her extended family. They do a reunion of sorts at the National Open. Uh, So in addition to playing the tournament, she gets to catch up with family. She also played in the women's tournament. And for more about Lindsay's background, you guys should check out episode 58 of the Chess Journeys podcast. Shout out to Chess Journeys. Always fun to hear people's stories. And Lindsay's story is no exception. But without further ado, let's welcome Lindsay to the show. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here on Perpetual (laughs) Chess. Thanks, Lindsay. I'm excited to hear your, well, hear more of your story. We've been corresponding for a while and I felt like since I'm, I want to cover this tournament from many angles and your angle is so unique. So you, how long has your family been meeting at the National Open? I, I should have asked my dad. I don't know, but I know that my first time at the National Open was I believe in the mid nineties when it was still back at the Riviera 
R.I.P. Riviera, right uh, across from Circus Circus, which was a big deal to me back when I was like 12 and 13. Um, and that was in the mid 90s. And so we've been going at least since then. And have you made uh, it every year or have you missed some years? No, I have only played. I want to say I personally have played maybe five or six times in the last. I guess that in the mid 90s would be almost 30 years ago. Um starting when I was a kid, but I have gone to more when I wasn't a player just to hang out with the family. Cause we would have at least a few players, my dad, my uncle, sometimes my grandmother and a bunch of my cousins, my first yeah. cousins. Amazing. How many chess players are in your extended family? I mean, it's something like six tournament players, something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Um, at least a few of them have died, you know, um, over the years as people do, but we still have a few active players and then we have like spouses of the cousins who have started playing. And then soon I hope children like my daughter, I hope she's going to be one of the next new hall players in a few years when she learns she's only three right now. So we're just, just learning the names of the pieces right now. Okay. Yeah. She's got some time. And Lindsay, how does that sort of frame your objective? So I interviewed a national master who played in the tournament who you know, he, he wanted to have a good tournament, but he's no one I've interviewed has said like scoring every point was their primary priority. But how, how do you look going in? Like, is it primarily a social thing? Are you really trying to do well in chess? Are you training in advance? What's your mindset going to the this year in particular? This year in particular was kind of interesting because it was um, my second year as an adult player who actually cared about the game. Mm -hmm. uh, previously, when I went as a kid or even as in my mid-20s when I competed, I did not care about chess. Like, I didn't dislike chess, but I didn't care to study it. I didn't know names of openings. I just went just for fun with my family. It was a family activity. And I didn't really care if I won or lost. Um, but last year and this year, um, I cared. I prepared. I tried to prepare. This year, uh, I did about as well as I thought I might do. Of course, not as well as I'd hoped. I don't. I only won three out of ten played games between the women's and the national opens. But I did realize that I really need to focus on end games because so many of my close games went to end games. And I think if I were really good at end games, I definitely could have salvaged those points. So that's what I need to focus on. And luckily for me, I love end games. I think they're really fun. Um, but primarily, my goal is just to have fun, um, reconnect with family. I love seeing family and meet new friends, which I did this year, reconnect with old friends, like a bunch of people I met at last year's tournament. And that was really cool. Um, like my last game was played against a fellow Peace Corps volunteer who volunteered in Ghana and I volunteered in Ukraine and we had made friends because he he saw my Peace Corps tote bag and he was like, oh, oh, wow. last, last year. Yeah. And uh, we were met, paired up in the last game of the National Open. So that was really cool. And I was like, OK, no matter who wins between us, Peace Corps wins. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so that was really cool. It's just nice to meet friendly people. And I normally really like my opponents. They're all really nice people. A lot of them are parents like I am um, or little kids. And that's kind of cool. It's cool like to play kids when I have a kid and I'm like, I hope my kid is playing chess like you in a few years. You know, it's cool. 
But one thing that I really found significant for me this year was the fact that um, I'm kind of grappling with uh, the question of identity because I am recently, three years ago, a new mother. And of course, your whole life changes when you become a parent, especially a stay-at-home parent like I am. There's no other option in Death Valley. Uh, there's no childcare here. And so like my whole identity has kind of been reorganized and I'm, and chess has been such an amazing outlet for um, mental escape and intellectualism and finding community outside of my home. And, um, and I've been going through some personal issues lately, um, you know, nothing too major, but things that have been taking a lot of my mental capacity. And I found that when I was at the women's open for the one hour to the three and a half hours that I was playing each chess game, I achieved flow. And that's all I was thinking about was this chess game. And it was such a meditative experience. And that's one reason I love chess because you can get completely lost in it. And when you're going through hard times or when you're trying to figure out what next to do in life, like it's such, it's such an important thing to have that kind of outlet and to meet people through it. And I remember my old chess coach when I was a kid, like when I took lessons for six weeks from Jay Stallings when I was a kid. So shout out to Coach Jay. Yeah, shout I out to Coach Jay. He's awesome. One of his lessons was when in doubt, develop a piece. And I was never into chess, but I remembered that my whole life. And I was like, wow, I can relate that to all aspects of life. And now I'm like, I'm turning 40 soon. And I'm in doubt as to what to do next. So I guess I'll just focus on any area of my life and develop that. So that's why chess has been very meaningful. And especially at the open where you're surrounded by all these people who love chess. Oh, God, I love going to tournaments. It's like my favorite thing. In-person that, tournaments. That was so poetic, Lindsay, and very relatable. <laughs> I I um. I feel the same way about tournaments. I mean, I, I don't love everything about them. You know, I find them stressful. Like you as a parent, it can be tough to get away. Uh, you feel a little guilty about being away from your kids, as you and Kevin talked about on chess journeys. But but that feeling of escapism and focus that you get may make it worth it. <laughs> I don't feel that guilty. I don't okay. feel that guilty. I'm thinking to myself, what's a good... Um, you know, my daughter came home. She 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 and my husband went to Dallas for five days while I was at the tournaments to visit his family. And they had that time of their lives. They went to a cool place every day. And she came home and she was like, I want to play chess. She knew that's all I was doing for five days. And I'm like, this is great. Like I'm setting I feel like I'm setting a good example for her of like doing something that's just for me. That's a healthy thing to do that also builds community and builds intellect and, and patience and resilience. And I'm like, this is the kind of thing that I want to show my daughter that I'm doing that she can do too, especially if she chooses to become a mother um, or a stay at home mom at some point. But yeah. Um, and but you know what, actually, this was the first uh, tournament that I took buys because I was tired. Because uh turns out I am five months pregnant. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm like, and this was an unexpected pregnancy. Uh, so I'm grappling with that too. So wow. when the fetus, like when I was like studying the board and being like, oh, this is a sharp position. 
should I do what, you know, what are my candidate moves? And then the fetus moves. I'm like, <laughs> that is that the baby trying to tell me, yes, do that. Or no, definitely don't do that. Right. <laughs> so I lost a lot of games. So I'm not sure that the pregnancy totally helped me, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to me that you can even play. I mean, I know that uh, pregnancies, they, they change your the way your brain works. I mean, and obviously take a physical toll. So um, it's a. Uh, it's good that you didn't let it derail you or at least piece since you cake. had fun. <laughs> um, oh yeah. It's so easy. It's a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you, Lindsay, since you mentioned community, I know you also played in the women's open, which not that many tournaments offer a women's open. So how do you compare that experience of playing uh, with the, in the main event as well? Oh, I love, I love both. I love both uh, national open and the women's open for different reasons. The National Open obviously like is huge and all different sections. You know, the the National Open, I, I played in the under 1300 section because my rating hovers around a thousand right now. And um, in the Women's Open, it's open. So I played um, someone rated, uh, I think, as low as provisional 700s and as high as she was almost 1600. And um, they were uh, really good games. I really enjoyed playing such a variety of opponents. Um, in fact, I kind of prefer that, the open format. And there were only six, seven opponents in the women's open as opposed to over like a thousand. But yeah. in my bracket, there were easily over a hundred in just in my bracket in the national open. But the women's open, it was so cool to see women and girls of all different ages. Um, and it was really fun um, to talk to the other women afterwards because we are a minority in chess. And uh, it was just so cool to like meet friends. I met some new friends, we hung out. Um, it was great. I had such a good time. So would and you I say- I love women's opens, so women's the, tournaments. Uh-huh, because yeah, some, some people, argue against their existence. I'm I'm not one of them, but would you say that the vibe was like markedly different in the women's open? Um, you know, it, I don't notice. A okay. Personally, I guess I'm very lucky that I don't notice like a huge difference or with sexism or anything. Um, my opponent, my male opponents have all been, uh, almost all have been very kind and respectful and normal and easy to talk to. Um, but for me, I really like being around like-minded women in chess. So that's why I really like the women's open. And there are so few female chess players, like in the general national open, I had one female opponent. She was 13 or ish. She was, you know, younger. I really liked her. <laughs> like, it's like she was so fun. I mean, that was in the general open. I didn't play any other, you know, adult women. So um, it was really cool to have the gender issue not even be an issue in the women's open. And really, for me, any any other tournaments, like any way to play more in person chess, I'll go with. Okay. You know? So I don't care who I'm playing as long as I'm playing over the board with someone. But yeah, I think women's opens uh, for me. I don't have an issue playing, um, you know, men or women or, or any age, but I know for a lot of women, it might be very intimidating to have your first 
um, over the board experience or like club experience be with so many men, especially if you feel self-conscious in some way or, you know, your opponents or the vibe is just not very good in your chess club. So I think a women's open is really nice uh, for a lot of people who haven't had positive experiences across the board like I have. So I think I do think it's very valuable. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it seems like it can't hurt to me. It's um, it, it, and I'm glad to hear that it was a, a positive experience. Now, Lindsay, in your interview with Kevin, uh, you mentioned that you really prefer over the board play. You don't, you don't find online to be um, as compelling and living in sort of a less densely populated area, we can safely say, um, it can be a challenge to find people to play. So as you got ready for the tournament, you said you did want to, you know, you did want to do well in this tournament. And while you weren't just going, you know, you you were excited to see family and friends, but you also were competing. So how did uh, leading up to the tournament, were you able to, to do much prep? Yeah, um, I run a chess club here in Death Valley, and I'm so happy that we are half female here, but because mostly it's like a social club, um, because we only have like a few actually serious players in our club. So um, I would play over the board with people in Death Valley. We have a, a chess meeting once a week, like a chess club meet once a week. And then I also teach um some kids um here in death valley and online a few times a week and basically we just go through like tactics books and end game books and uh how to beat your dad in chess which i renamed how to beat your mom in chess because jen's jen's working on a book uh, along those lines jen shahadi i would love to look i would love that i would love it um, hope, I, hope I didn't reveal any secrets there, Jen, but anyway, go ahead. Shout out to Jen Shahadi as well. One of my yeah. friends. She's really cool. So, um, uh, yeah, so we go over tactics and we go over um, common checkmate patterns and things like that. So that helps me too, obviously. Honestly, it's hard for me to just sit down and study. But if I'm with a group of people or if I'm, I'm teaching kids or something like that's my study time. Um, because I get distracted all the time by my three-year-old. Like she's always coming to talk to me and like soon she'll be able to learn chess and I'm excited about that. But by then I'll have like another little kid. So, um, so also I am very fortunate uh, that I collaborate with Bridgeopolis Chess Club in Las Vegas. And I think the director Marvin Rabb wants to rename it to Southern Nevada Chess pretty soon. So I'm not sure which name to give, but he... Uh, kind of works around Death Valley Chess's schedule. And I try to bring players to his live in-person over-the-board tournaments once a month. And so I get to go once a month to play in-person in Las Vegas, which is about two, two and a half hours from Death Valley. It's our closest major city. And so that has been a, like a lifesaver and a godsend to be able to play once a month in-person um, at Bridgeopolis. So that gives me some practice too. And again, finding flow and something to do outside the home as a mother. Um, so that's how I prepped. Uh, I practiced, I taught, I read books, I played in my club and I played at another small uh, chess club once a month. So but honestly, I could have put so much more time into it, but really like how much time do we have in a day? You know, yeah. I'm trying not to beat myself up for like not being able to study more than like a half hour, an hour a day. And in, in the end of the day, chess for me is about community and personal development and enjoyment. I don't have these huge rating goals because that's just not my focus in chess. 
So I'm giving myself grace. No, I I fully support that. I think half an hour to an hour a day. I mean, that's that's a big part of our lives. If we do that every day, you know, that's yeah, like it's too too much for me. I just (laughs) I just it's hard. It's hard for me even to do that. Yeah. No, totally, totally understandable. And of course, as you mentioned, uh, the tournament is part of a larger festival. I've asked um, both Todd Bryant and um, and Cody Smith, who are also going to be on the pod about like, you know, Eric Rosen was there, Ben Feingold was there, there were simuls. I don't even know what all the events were. But are events like that part of the attraction for you? Did you seek any of that stuff out? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so much fun. Um, so a couple of my kids students were in the youth trophy tournament, the international youth tournament. They did way better this year than last year. So I, like as their teacher, I was like, oh, thank God. Um, and <clears throat> I really wanted to play in the Blitz sectional and the Walter Brown Memorial, but I made a big mistake this year. I made a big mistake. My mistake was I invited a non-chess player <laughs> friend to come stay with me for two nights, Friday and Saturday night, my friend from college. And she's really into fine dining and eating really good food. And so um, that really took, I had a great time with her. Um, We had so much fun. Uh, And the restaurants we went to were amazing, but that really took away from my chess time. Right. And since I can only go to Vegas chess festivals, you know, once a year, every June, I'm like, okay, next year, I really have to focus on chess and the family. And I'll also have a six month old. So I'll have to focus on the baby too. Uh, little chupacabra as we call it. Huh. So um, that's the working title. So yeah, I think next year is going to look a little different than this year. That's funny. Yeah. The perils of the to focus on chess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The perils of having the tournament in Vegas. What was the best meal you had there? Oh God. Uh, we went to we went to Momofuku. Oh, is, nice. Yeah, it's a Japanese place. And my yeah. friend said it. My friend, when she made the reservation, said it was her birthday. So we got like the best seat overlooking the strip. That was really good. Um, and then, but that was a fancy meal. Uh, otherwise, I will say um, we went to Bonito Michoacan, which was only like three blocks from the Rio where the chess festival was. And that was really good. And we went to an Ethiopian restaurant and that was really good too. Yeah, it it's a not... weekend of great food. Oh, and this Thai place we went to, Lamai, oh, it was so good. I love yeah. food. I do. And it's nice, you know, when you live in a smaller area and then you go someplace with an international um, community like Vegas has to to eat all the ethnic foods. So yeah, um... Vegas, I think, I think is a great host city for a chess event. It's pretty easy to drive around. It's always easy to find hotels. As long as you're not staying on the strip, it's easy to drive around. And I like that Vegas chess festivals usually host these big tournaments off strip. I I like that because parking is usually free driving around. You can drive, you know, you don't have to go to the strip for every meal. So I'm a big proponent of off strip in Vegas, Vegas chess festivals hosting. I wonder where they'll do it next year. There's the uh, Las Vegas open is at the end of August and that's at the Flamingo, which is on the strip. But I'm pretty excited to go to that, too. Nice. Um, yeah, it sounds great to me. Um, so Lindsay, as, as we wrap up, it, it sounds like you would recommend this tournament to, to anyone who, who's considering it. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I think if you have agoraphobia or other, uh, like you don't want to be around a lot of people, maybe don't go to this tournament. It's a lot of people. 
Um, but it is so full of chest loving energy. Uh, the vibe is awesome. People are friendly. If you're friendly too, you will definitely make friends. Um, and I love going every year and seeing like the same people every year. Like I see people I recognize from like the, the aughts and the nineties, even like I see some people I recognize from them. I'm like, Oh, I don't remember their names, but I, but I know their faces. So it's really cool because it's a, a yearly thing. And I think it's great for, um, building the community that is chess. And I know that not everybody who plays chess cares about chess in that way, like the social aspect. But for those of us who do, it's so valuable to to put in time and go repeatedly to these same tournaments. Yeah. Well, well, what sounds good about the American Open in particular is it's kind of the best of both worlds, because as you allude to the the main event, it it is a big it's a big tournament. It's a serious tournament with with really strong players at the top. But there's also plenty of other activities and and yeah, it's great because it's all levels. You can compete in the open section and you can compete in the under section. And there are, as you said before, all these side events like you could go and just do blitz like it really is cool. It's something for everyone. I love it. I love it. And I had my team Newhall and my team Death Valley check wall is there. And there were four players for each team this year. And it was so fun. So I recommend it to everybody. All right. Maybe you'll even see me there someday. I'm going to have to oh. uh, plan a trial balloon with my wife and see how it goes. But where, uh, where are you coming from? Uh, I live in New Jersey, kind of a oh, little okay. bit closer to Philly than New York, but okay. kind yeah, of in the middle. You know, when I would ask people at the tournament, my my opponents, where they were from, so many were from out of state. Yeah. And a woman from Atlanta and a man from New York and, and, and you know, and like just all over the place. They're all coming to this tournament. I was like, wow, that's cool. Excellent. Well, hope to see you there someday, Lindsay. But but thanks for sharing your experience. It sounds sounds like a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for interviewing me. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me and to promote chess. We'll be back with the next interview right after this break. And we are here with a return adult improver guest. He is a 32-year-old Twitch streamer and chess instructor. I interviewed him back in March of 2022, episode 270, for anyone who has not heard that one. And that in that talk, our guest Cody talked about being a self-taught chess player with a over 2,000 Lee Chess rating. He talked about how he was getting into tournament chess in Alabama, where he lives. I've been once again, creeping on his USCF chess history. And I see that he has been playing mostly in Alabama, but he made the big trip to Vegas. And I'm excited to talk about his trip to Vegas. But first, let's welcome Cody Smith back to the podcast. Welcome back, Cody. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Ben. Excited to be back. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to chat. So I had seen that you've, it looks like you've made the trip to Georgia a couple of times to play tournaments, but other than that, staying local. So what what made you decide that now was the time for a big chess trip, Cody? Um, well, it was it was a few things, I guess. Um, I've been wanting to play sort of a big, you know, national event like that for a while. Um, I've never been to Las Vegas before, so that seemed like a nice double whammy, I guess. And on top of that, I also just had a lot of people that I've met through Twitch mostly um, that were also going to be playing in the event. So, you know, I kind of just got to do a lot of fun things at once, got to go play in a big tournament got to experience Las Vegas and got to meet a lot of people that I've known for a long time on the internet, but had never met in person before. Uh, So this was a a perfect tournament for me to go to, I think. Yeah. And I'm curious because obviously you're someone who takes your chess fairly seriously and you've made significant progress because of that. So I worry, I mean, 
I worry that a tournament like that, it would almost be too much. You know, I kind of just want to like hunker down and play my games and, you know, treat them seriously. Was that a struggle with uh, so much stimulus there? I think maybe so. Um, but even even still, it made it worthwhile just for the other factors I mentioned. Um, like I, I wasn't really, you know, studying openings too much between rounds or, or doing any kind of practice between rounds or anything because um, I just wanted to hang out with the people that I knew. Um, so that probably did maybe make my results a little bit less good than I would have liked. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it probably did. Chess wise, it it detracted from it, but, you know, it was still a fun trip and that was the primary goal was to Excellent. have a fun trip. So that, that's yeah. a good primary goal to have. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I saw that you played in you're rated in the 1600s. You played in the under 1900 section. That was right. I mean, that's not technically playing up, right? That was the the uh, lowest section you could play in. Is that correct? No, I I could have played the under 1700. Oh, there was an under 17. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I, I debated um, between those two and I had a lot of input from my viewers on Twitch. Um, because I thought, you know, if I play in the under 1700, I feel like I had as as good of a chance as anybody to, you know, win money, um, win a prize in that section. Um, but I know, like, you know, the sections are 150, 200 players or whatever it is. So to win any section, whether it's the under 1700 or the under 1900 would require, you know, really, really strong play. And I just thought, like, well, if I'm going to play really well, then I'd rather play really well in the under 1900 than the under 1700. Um, so I just thought, it, you know, I thought it'd be better to to play up one section and get get more games against higher rated players, which is what I ended up getting. So, yeah, I mean, I think from a long term perspective, that's for sure the best thing. I mean, I know you're a fan of uh, Ben Feingold streams, as we talked about in our last interview, and that's something that he's always stressing. You want to play stronger opponents. So, um, right. Yeah, but it's good. To, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to actually do it. So, so yeah, uh, I, I really was tempted to play the under 1700 and try to win a prize because the prizes are way bigger than any prizes that we have for tournaments here in Alabama. Um, but yeah, yeah do you remember I how much first do... was for under 17? Oh, gosh, I don't remember. Um, okay, from guessing I know five it was or six four digits. Grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. yeah, I'm yeah. sure it was a uh, significant, um, right. And of course, so you mentioned you had some friends there. I saw you had a picture with Eric Rosen. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, you've been chiming in on Feingold's streams for, for a while. So in addition to catching up with your own friends, um, what was it like at, at least meeting Eric and possibly crossing paths with uh, with Ben as well? I did cross paths with Ben uh, a couple of times. Um, it was great meeting, meeting Eric. Um, you know, I think I said the same thing about Ben the last time I was on the podcast, but Eric is like, exactly as nice and pleasant in person as he comes across on Twitch and on YouTube. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great to meet him. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was great meeting a lot of different people. Um, I actually, I thought you might ask me, so I made a big list of like everyone that I met in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, I don't look, know if you want the whole list, but <laughs> I do. But first, I just want to um, verify that the the listed prize for under seventeen hundred was four thousand. Although they actually went okay. over their entry, so maybe they ended up even bumping it from there. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. But in any event, let's hear uh, let's hear who else you met. Okay, so these are Twitch streamers ranging from small to to pretty big. But I met in the order that I encountered them. I met bouncing across Brigham Aldrich. 95 Horatio, also known as John Davis, Potato Head, L-O-L-O-L, -L -L, Zef Cat, Camel Clutcher, 
I am Eric Rosen, GM Benjamin Feingold, GM Danish Boros, a.k.a. Chessweeb, NM Rosie Chess, Japanese Tutor, Joe Bruin, KD Learns, Bali1331, The Chess Tina, Filtering Spam, Yuri in the House, and I am Kostya Kavutsky of Chess Dojo Live. Amazing. Wow. I think I I got everybody. I'm sorry if I forgot someone. (laughs) Wow, that is amazing. And I I know, obviously, many of those names, but not all of them. Um, Right. So how many of of like, was it a Twitch streaming community that you were primarily meeting or just kind of like a chess community in terms of the actual people you were there to primarily hang out with? It was pretty much a Twitch Twitch streaming community. Um, There were also a few... um, you know, sort of regulars in a lot of these Twitch stream, uh, regular viewers, right? That uh, also came, so I got to meet some of the viewers as well. That's fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the people that I mentioned there, we had been kind of discussing it over the past few months, or maybe even a year, about we should all go to this tournament in Las Vegas together. Um, so yeah, it was. At least for me, it was mostly a Twitch thing. <laughs> okay. So Todd Bryant, who listeners will have already heard on this podcast, he got his plane ticket like two days before the tournament. It sounds like you got yours uh, well in advance. Yeah, I did. I did book it in advance. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not, and did I, you stay at the, the Rio? I stayed at the Rio. Yes. Okay. I spent many a night at the Rio back in my poker days. Uh, it, had oh, a pre- okay, nice. it had a pretty bad reputation back in those days, although I didn't think it was entirely deserved. Yeah. It. I mean... I didn't mind the Rio, um, but, you know, between being busy with the tournament and hanging out with all those people I just listed, I didn't really end up leaving the Rio until after the tournament was already over. Right. So I kind of only had one or one and a half days to actually explore Las Vegas. And then when I did get to walk around the strip and see some of the other casinos, then I was kind of like, oh, I really wish the tournament had been at a different casino than the Rio just to have been closer to everything. Um, yeah. but the Rio was was fine. It was just, you know, I would have maybe liked it more at a different casino. But I saw next year they're having it at the Flamingo, which is more on the strip. More central. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's, uh, I mean, I didn't check the specific weather, but generally this time of year in Vegas, it's so hot that that, that extra little bit you have to walk to get to the strip from the Rio uh, makes yeah. a difference. Or obviously you can pay 20 bucks for a cab to drive you two minutes, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, but but let's bring it back to the chess, at least for the moment, Cody. So it sounds like you had a pretty casual approach, uh, primarily meet some friends, chess vacation, playing some tougher opponents. But did you have any specific chess goals, whether they be like processor results uh, oriented? Well, I mean, I I broke 1700 last year, USCF. I got up to, I think my peak's like 1706, like just a hair over 1700. So I've been trying to get back there um, for a while. And I've been overall, I've been taking it a little more seriously. Like I've been dedicating myself more to to openings in particular. Um, but I feel like even though my chess understanding is probably stronger now than it's ever been, I haven't really seen that reflected in the results yet. Um, so you know, I was really hoping to get back to seventeen hundred or at least close, but I actually ended up losing uh, ten rating points instead. So. Chess goals didn't really work out. Yeah, but, it um, happens. Yeah. <laughs> and and was there something that you can take home, like a specific lesson? Was it the openings or was it something else that you're like, man, I, you know, this just isn't where it needs to be? I think it's really just um, endurance and being really careful throughout the game that I'm not making, you know, some big mistake because um, I've looked over all of my games 
And um, the four decisive games that I had, I, I had one win, two draws, three losses. Um, so the four decisive games that I had, I had winning positions in all of them. Uh, and I either missed a tactic that was winning or in one instance, I was winning for most of the game and then just blundered at the end and lost. So I think for me, it's it's I really need to improve my consistency and just not kind of falling asleep when I'm ahead. <laughs> right. And I think well, I should win easily. Um, OK, well, those are fixable, at least, you know, um, hopefully <laughs> that's been plaguing me for a little while, though. So I've got to got to figure out what I need to do to to fix that. OK. And we had a question from a Patreon supporter of the pod. This is from uh, David Lazarus, who said he enjoyed uh, our last interview. And he wanted to mention that he's also a fan like you of, of Lee Chess, just as an aside. But his question was uh, what he he noted that you had said you were self-taught and wondered whether you would consider getting a coach to take your game to the next level. It's something that's like I'm always thinking about, but I've never really come close to pulling the trigger on. <laughs> um I kind of think that maybe I should soon, um, but I haven't really made any specific plans to. I think it would be useful to have a stronger player, you know, looking over my games and, you know, finding things that maybe I wasn't thinking about and didn't even think about in my uh, postmortem or, you know, my analysis after the game. So I think it's something that I should probably do, even if it's not like a recurring thing, I probably should you know, after a tournament like this, hire someone to help me look over the games and figure out, you know, what was the flaw in my thought process that led to the outcome being worse than I wanted. Yeah, maybe just like a consultation, if not like a regular meeting. So. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um. So what else, like... So you've played locally in Alabama a lot. It looks like you've played a couple weekend tournaments in Georgia now. So how did this conform to your expectations in terms of finally getting to go to one of these big open tournaments? Oh, I mean, I, I thought the tournament was great. I mean, it was really well run. It was exciting um, to be in such a large field. <laughs> yeah. Like the day before 1100 the event, people, I think. Sorry, I think I saw eleven hundred people. Maybe I think um, it was actually over twelve hundred. Wow. Um, okay, but I know it was a record. It was the largest field they've ever had. I think the previous record was in the nineties. Okay, nine um, hundred. So there, there was um, the, the day before the event. Me and a few friends went to see the playing hall just to see, you know, kind of where everything was, get the lay of the land. And I mean, I was just blown away at how giant the playing hall was and how many. Uh, you know, chess boards when we're in one room. So, I mean, that was the most exciting for me was, uh, you know, to be in such a large event compared to, you know, the local tournaments here in Alabama, we rarely would get more than a hundred people only pretty much for the state championship. Would we see more than a hundred? Um, and I played in, in one or two in Georgia that, you know, were in the hundreds, but nowhere near a thousand. So that was the most exciting part for me. Um, and it was also kind of cool, to know that I'm playing an event where, you know, there's GMs and, you know, really high level people that were also playing in the event, you know, like Hans Niemann was on board one for, for most of the event. So that yeah. was kind of cool too. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really strong, strong event for sure. So it sounds like, do you like, would you try to go back again in the future? I've already been thinking about it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and I know there's also, uh, the North American Open is in Vegas yeah. in December. So 
I, I don't know if I can justify going twice in one year, but um, you know, I've thought maybe maybe next year I do the North American Open instead and and see what that event is like. But I don't know. I had such a good time. I'm I'm ready to go back. So yeah, yeah, I hear you. But it's a big expense, and and yeah, as, yeah and, for sure. And as you allude to, like you kind of have to set the prizes aside, not not think about them at right. all. So no thoughts of like trying the world open or something like that. I mean, I've been to a bunch of these. I've actually never been to the national open, but um, oh, okay. I could certainly power rank the ones I've been to. And I think the <laughs> national open is probably better. The world open is high on my list of ones that I would like to go to. Um, but I mean, I definitely can. I think it's, what is it like? I think it's next weekend, right? I, yeah, yeah. No way I can do it this year. Um, but that was one thought I had is maybe next year I do like the world open in the summer and do the North American open in Vegas in the winter. But yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I would like to go to more of the big events and, and see as many of them as I can, you know, yeah, price willing. <laughs> so in terms of all the people you met, Cody, um, any, any stories to go along with them? Um, or was it more like mostly just saying hi and stuff like that? You didn't play in any simuls, uh, did you? No, I didn't. I didn't play um, in any of the simuls or any of the side events. I was hoping to play maybe in some of the the blitz events, but didn't get a chance to. Um, as far as stories go, oh man, I mean, I have some, um, you know, from from late nights that maybe I I can't share. But... <laughs> Those are the best kind. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I don't know. So if did I you have late of, nights uh... like during the tournament? Because that's another thing people struggle with, you know, because like you don't get to see your chess community that often you're excited mm -hmm. to see them it's fun to hang out but on the other hand the tournament schedule is relentless so like how did you balance that yeah i um so there was really only one really late night <laughs> which was saturday night um and i ended up taking a buy for the sunday morning round because i it was just too late <laughs> you already just... had you already planned that buy or uh... no i i emailed the tournament director like in the middle of that night and said that's cool. i'm not going to I'm not going to show up tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'm all for, uh, you know, you know, you, you laugh, but I'm all for like, you got to find a balance, you know, it's like, right. Right. Um, yeah. And, and at, th at that point in the tournament, it was clear, like, I'm not going to be competing for any, you know, prizes or anything like that. So, so that was, if I had been having a good event. I probably would have taken it a little more okay. seriously, you know, so but, was that round six? Was that round four? Yeah. Round six. I was the round I took a buy for. Okay. Cause sometimes they have rules where for the last two rounds, you have to commit to a buy. Uh, before the or before the tournament, or sometimes it's like after the first round, you have to commit to any buy. I find the rules to be a bit draconian. I mean, I understand they don't mm -hmm. want people to gain the system, but I think that there could be a little like I think what you did, you know, not being in contention for a prize, like you know, taking a buy to sleep it off, you know, <laughs> like I think that should be that that there there should be rules that allow that, you know, when you're not right. in the open section sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, and they did have some of those rules, like you have to request a half point buy so far in advance, and I was behind that, so it was a zero point buy for me. Um, oh, it was zero, which, okay. Yeah, it was a zero point buy, which I guess doesn't really matter much, but it, I guess I would have had a slightly better pairing if I had gotten a half point instead of zero, but right you know it, it didn't really matter to me at that point yeah well it is good that you did the right thing and like let them know so that someone doesn't end up without an opponent right that was the main thing i wanted to avoid yeah um and let's see so when your tournament was over you mentioned you stayed an extra day saw vegas for the first time um mm -hmm. what did you do it was mostly just uh just walking around the strip honestly um and 
uh, just kind of seeing it really just stayed in that one little corner where you have the Bellagio, Paris, Flamingo and, and Caesars. Um, so kind of just walked around, saw the Bellagio fountain, you know, um, walked around Caesars. And I like I like sort of the Roman architecture of Caesars. So I thought that was cool. Um, I got to play a, a little poker. Um, yeah, I'm I not saw really this... a gambler aside from poker. So okay. I, I played poker, but I didn't do any other gambling. Yeah. And it looked like you had a good session based on your screenshot. I did. I was I was happy with that. <laughs> That's good. And I saw Ben Feingold chiming in in your comments. Was did he or Karen play with you or? No. no. OK. Um, I I actually on my stream last night, Ben was watching for a little bit and I explained the big hands that I had. So he, oh, the, he already okay. knew the story. That was why he chimed in. <laughs> so you might as well tell it. I mean, I, it obviously involved queens. Um, yeah, <laughs> I had before we say our goodbyes, listeners can, can, uh, can stop listening to all the poker haters. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. It's sort of a complicated hand because there were like five people involved. But I had pocket queens um, and I raised pre-flop. There were five people that went to the flop. The flop was 10-10-5, which doesn't seem very scary. Uh, the, the player on the button bet small on the flop. I called on the turn. It was like a seven or an eight, some kind of nothing card. And I think I know where this is going, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> he made a he made a small raise. Another player had bet and I called. He made a small raise. I thought about folding because it seemed like probably he has a 10, but the price was really, really good compared to the size of the pot. So I called and the Wee. river was a queen. <laughs> Beautiful. Which, which, yeah, <laughs> gives me uh, a full house and the second nuts. So um, it went check ahead of me. I checked because I thought button's going to bet. He went all in. The other player went all in, and I made a oh, very, wow. very easy call. Yeah, That's so it was a three call. So the, did they both have a ten or better? I guess. Uh, actually, the button had ten five, which wow, doesn't so... really make a lot of sense for him to have called pre flop. And then I don't know what the other player had. He mucked his hand. Okay, so. but probably another ten. Wow. Um, yeah, probably. So, sounds like fun. Um, yeah. All right. Well, well, good stuff. So, in closing, you would say, and by the way, I should. I'll probably say this at the beginning too, but this is not like uh, spot sponsored content for this tournament. I, I I've had no interactions with the um, with the directors, and I've never even been to that tournament. This tournament. That's part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast. But basically, it sounds like you would strongly recommend it. In closing, oh yeah, I have absolutely no regrets about going. It was it was a great time, um, both chess wise and otherwise. Even if the chess wasn't up to what I was hoping for my chess, the, the tournament was great. <laughs> right. Right. And, yeah. and at least you, you have some, some ideas of things to work on going right. forward chess wise. Um, Definitely. cool. Okay. And, uh, CL Smith on Twitch, correct? Yeah. It's CL Smith XV. Okay. So the last time I was on the podcast, it was CL Smith 15 one five, but that had a, had a little rebrand. So it's yeah. XV now, which is that Roman was after you 15. went to after you went to Caesars and saw the Roman architecture. <laughs> uh, no, but that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Well, Cody, it was great to catch up. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, you got my FOMO going, so I'm sure you've got a couple. Uh, I'm sure some listeners um, are ready to book their flights as well. But uh, but thanks thanks for uh, sharing your trip report. Yeah. Thanks again for having me.
Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.